Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Amir Malikpour. We are discussing Omega the Unknown number five from November 1976 through the rat hole into the cat's lair. Wow, Marvel's 70s comics don't get much darker than this. No, it's crazy. I mean, I don't know that much about Marvel's 70s aside from Kirby, but this is crazy. Yeah, I mean, this is so dark between the, the two parallel storylines here. The beating at the high school and our hero fighting El Gato. The yeah. other which are, they're all kind of downbeat. They're both kind of depressing and sad and frustrating and horrible. Yeah, I think the first thing that stands out is, uh, you know, the nerd John Nedley uh, who gets beat up. Apparently his face gets beat up, beat to a pulp in such fashion that like, we don't even get to see what happened to his face. The comics code couldn't even approve that. Mm -hmm. And he, the, the nurse told one of the teachers to like stand back if they're gonna be sick seeing the face. Mm -hmm. The teacher, you can see the look on his face. He is sick looking at it. This mm -hmm. is such a dark beginning of a story and so, so hard to watch in a way so yeah. one of the, this the one of the scenes that stuck in my mind since i first read this comic is like how dark how depressing how just terrifying this is mm -hmm. there's nothing comic booky about a kid getting beaten up at school at all this is completely real mm-hmm I was going to ask, is this one of the few times that like, quote unquote, big two had like slice of life, if you could call it that stories? Yeah, I, I think so. This is, in fact, really Gerber was the main guy who created slice of life stories. So if you separate like the relevant stories like Green Lantern, Green Arrow from slice of life stories like this, there's very few comics like this. Um, in fact, the, the only few people I can think of are Gerber and Don McGregor with uh, his Black Panther stories and Luke Cage stories, especially. Like Luke that Cage was very basic, yeah, obviously set in, in the real mm. world. So I guess the Luke Cage stories are maybe the other ones that are most like this. I, I mean, I guess you could think about Spider-Man as kind of like spice, Slice of Life in the beginning, you know, like girl, he gets rejected dating, that type of thing. But this is more of a serious problematic thing, like where a non-superhero actually has to deal with like real life situations. That makes Yeah, with the mm -hmm. real trauma of life. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, that's funny because I think of Gerber when I think of this too, because at the same time he's writing Defenders and there's a scene in one of the same issues of Defenders that came, came, the same, came out the same year where Valkyrie goes to a woman's apartment and there's rats all around, all around the uh, baby's crib. And she's actually fighting rats with her, you know, Asgardian sword. And that juxtaposition was also like really meant to be, you know, kind of deeply estranging, I guess. Mm -hmm. There's actually a note in here too, on the letters page of issue five that talks about this a little bit. You don't mind me reading it to you. No, 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 please do. I actually don't have the issue, so I would love to kind of hear what. So there's a letter questioning James Michael's school environment. And they say, we don't consider it unrealistic at all. 
Apparently you've either never gone to school in Hell's Kitchen or never been raised in a household where logic was the final arbiter of all disputes. Steve and Mary both live in Hell's Kitchen. They know these kids and believe us, the only real unrealistic element in James Michael's school situation is the absence of terror and violence, which we cannot portray because the comics code will not allow it. Mm. So they're trying to draw, they're trying to create the world that's literally outside their window. And they're so appalled by it that they can't help but write about it. Mm -hmm. And of course, the end of the issue just shows this perpetuation of violence. Yeah, it's also another thing on page two where James Michael goes into his, you know, his voices, you know, he's hearing the voices mm -hmm. and he's imagining everyone around him in like a devil, like as if they're a devil, like even her, his friend, the friend, the nurse, the, the teacher, they're all, they're all like demons or hags or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's just, yeah, what do you make of that? I'm not sure. I think maybe uh, it's hard to tell. Uh, at first, you know, after finishing the reading, I thought that it was just a, you know, obviously it's in his mind, right? Because his his mm -hmm. friend's name is Mary, right? Diane. J Diane. Sorry, I was thinking of Mary's friend. Is, um, yeah. So Diane is not evil towards him. The nurse doesn't seem like a bad nurse and the teacher is not necessarily bad. So to me, it seems like he's imagining it. And later on, when we see, you know, the hero confronting Elgato, Elgato puts certain things in his mind where he starts imagining things. So I guess the analogy where I think of here, at least in the beginning of this chapter is that, you know, when you're confronted with trauma, you end up associating other things with negative attributes where there may not be. So, and when Omega, the, the hero is being confronted with some, you know, like uh, some fighting against Elgato, he's being confronted with, you know, imaginary things that are negative that aren't necessarily what they are. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the people he's fighting aren't really witches. He's imagining them to be. And furthermore, once we get to the last page, I actually have a question about, Elgato's nature when he's fighting the hero. Okay, we'll get to that. Uh, James Michael's also a little bit psychic, it seems. Oh yeah, I, oh, is that when we were in the diner, or are you already in the diner, or before that? Well, I'm saying he's also hearing Tank thinking about revenge. Oh yeah, okay. So I was going to ask about that. I didn't understand that. So he's hearing Tank talk about taking revenge on the bullies. Is that yeah. what? Why would Tank do that? Is Tank a friend of theirs? I, I didn't really understand that. He's sitting at the page, at the table with them on the first page. Oh, with James, yeah. Michael, okay. and Diane. Got it. Okay. I don't think we've seen Tank much before this. Obviously, it's been a couple of weeks since we talked about this comic. But I think uh, I think Tank is introduced here. And that's like bad continuity in a way, but the comic's only 17 pages. Okay, I wasn't sure because I, I didn't remember Tank. I was like, is this like a symbolic thing? Is this something that we're going to find out later? But I didn't see Tank again. Oh, well, I, I think we're meant to think at the very end that Tank is the one who beats up Nick. Oh, okay. Oh, my God. It all makes sense. I was very confused. 
we'll find out more in the next issue. Yeah, okay. I didn't know that. I was like, oh, who's Nick? <laughs> He's the bully. He's the bully. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's like the school is such an urban jungle. Yeah. We saw the beating and now we see, you know, the this uh, revenge. Like this is like, this. so for me, like 1976, I'm in like third grade or something. I'm going to this very kind of happy school in a small town, Cooperstown, New York. And I'm reading this comic and I'm like completely terrified by the idea of what school is like in the big city. Like mm. this hit so hard to read something like this. Mm. I mean, I actually, uh, maybe- Do you imagine yourself at that age going through the same traumas? Um, I, did go, I, I did go through similar things. I think the junior high that I went to, you know, I, I came to the U.S. when I was 10. And you know, yeah. I did go right now, um, um, not so much where in my, the other countries I come from, but here, there were a lot of bullies. And, and in fact, one of the things was I, I, I went to junior high where they had a lot of gang-related fighting, like junior high and high school, especially like gangs would recruit people. I mean, where I live now, it's the same area. It's a very expensive area, Silicon Valley. But at that time, it was not, it's, you know, pretty much, I mean, this was in the early 90s, late 80s. Still mm -hmm. wasn't a terrible place, but there was a lot of things that were going on. A lot of, you know, there's poor folks and poverty, and there's a lot of abuse, like bullies. So, but it wasn't as bad as this. Well, maybe it was, but. I'm sure as an immigrant kid, it was especially tough. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. I mean, this is a superhero thing. So, but, um, but yeah, so yeah. I, I kind of understand a little bit. It didn't really bring back anything. Oh my God, for my childhood. But, but it is something that you would tend, you tend to see when mm -hmm. people fighting, you know, I remember there was one time in my junior high, um, these two girls were fighting like fist fighting. One of the, teachers or the principal or assistant principal tried to stop it and she got a heart attack oh wow i remember that so it was just like oh my god like, i mean not because of what the kids did but just she had heart problems and she got a heart attack then so it's but it was pretty ferocious so yeah yeah trauma at school wow yeah i saw plenty of fights but never anyone with a heart attack uh so then we follow our hero as he watches Teresa go under the thrall of El Gato. She's slated to become his wife. Yeah. This is all weird. so dark and scary too. Teresa mm -hmm. who tried to kill herself is now forced to marry El Gato, she, who she obviously hates. Well, all of El Gato's servants are like, I can't believe she's the one who gets to marry him. You don't deserve this honor, Teresa. Mm -hmm. I, I, she says she's willing at the end of the last chapter. I think, you know, there's a mind, you know, mind washing or brainwashing mm -hmm. thing that's going on there. You could see it in her eyes too, which is yeah. kind of, I like, I like the eyes. They're just kind of like glazed over, or, you know, they're just looking, they're not there, but, um, which is good, good art by Jim Mooney there. Um, I did want to see, I did notice an analogy between um, what James Michael's going through and uh, Omega. 
hero. And it's that they're both in a situation that they're both powerless over what's going on. Mm-hmm. James Michael, I mean, he can't do anything with his buddy getting beat up. Um, what, even if he was there or he wasn't there, it's just a circumstance that's happening in front of him. And then same thing with Omega. I mean, he, he has all these superpowers and, you know, he can save people, but he can't save somebody who doesn't want to be saved. In her case, she's brainwashed. So she's like, no, I'm, don't bother me. I actually want to go with him. So it's like, in a lot of ways, I think thinking about superheroes, um, in this case, this superhero is powerless. Like he can't do anything, just like a regular kid in high school getting beat up. So there's that similarity between, whereas and if the kid who's getting beat up in high school or junior high is reading this, reading Superman, you don't have anything to identify with Superman or Batman because they always win at the end. And here he's powerless. Um, and then also the other thing that furthermore, the analogy between this hero and Superman is, you know, Superman is powerless against magic or illusion. And that's what, you know, that's what uh, this hero's uh, kryptonite is. I wish we had a name for him. I, I'm going to keep calling him Omega. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like he keeps, they keep calling him the caped man. It's, it, it becomes like this weird little almost fetishistic thing that they never name him. Uh, Amber names him Omega. Oh, really? Page oh, okay. When she's talking to J. Jonah Jameson. But mm. he's not actually called that by the narrators. Uh, yeah, it's, he has that battle against the illusion of the cats in his head. And like you were talking about a minute ago, too, like the, the forces go against him. And we have that same sort of surreal panel that we just had with James Michael, where his mind is kind of blown, literally. The energy yeah. is turned within upon himself. A blast that could shatter a stone wall blows his body apart instead. Only symbolically. Yeah, it's crazy. Then we get this nice sequence with James Michael and Amber and J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah. And Peter Parker. Peter Parker, yeah. I I wonder. Mooney drew or inked several issues of Spider Man. Oh, okay. What did you think of seeing Peter Parker? I could tell uh, Mooney must have, because he does have a little bit of that John Romita, like pretty face drawing style. It's um, drawing of Peter's right on model, isn't it? Yeah. I wonder, so we have a mutual friend, Scott, uh, who's a, I think uh, he's a big Spider-Man fan. And mm-hmm. he always collects everything that Spider-Man uh appears in i wonder if he owns this issue <laughs> it's a great choice yeah um but yeah i could tell i could tell by the drawings of, you know it's like the in fact like i think jim mooney would have been a good uh romance comic artist <laughs> excuse me yeah he would definitely mm-hmm. just like romita and that's that's why i mentioned it yeah yeah Right, and so you can totally imagine Amber and James Michael being in the middle of you know everything else going on in the Spider-Man books, and that kind of gives it another element of weirdness in this comic. Yeah, that's Marvel for you. It's it's a really interesting, it's a really cool thing that you don't see Spider-Man, but you see Peter Parker. 
And again, mm-hmm. we just alluded, I just alluded to mentioning that, you know, Peter Parker is kind of slice of life. And, and Gerber is like with James Michael is just keeping it at like regular people. Like you, you don't get to see Spider-Man, you get to see Peter Parker. Although, you know, the last few issues we did see some, some heroes and I'm assuming there will be more heroes later to boost sales. They don't even call out the hero on the cover. Oh yeah, that's right, yeah. So then we get to James Michael and Amber at the soda counter. Rose and Bob's candy store as uh, James Michael gets his egg cream. Really nice issue to issue continuity where it's the same store where they encountered the Hulk and they even talk about how the guy uh, bought the, the fixtures for his candy shop was buying him from other candy shops that were closing down. Like that's just really just adds just a little tiny element of like continuity to everything and also I, the real world. I was and like say, the real James world. Michael sudden like Amber asks him about school, and that's apparently the first time James Michael actually discusses that Nick had been beat up. Like he'd been holding that in himself for hours, apparently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually like this sequence. Uh, by the way, um, Bob is uh, smoking a cigarette in a kid's candy store, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but uh, I like this part, this whole sequence, because it does show that James Michael has feelings and he's human mm-hmm. because he's all like, hey, can, can we get the doctor to approve me and um, Diane to go see, you know, John at the hospital because they don't let kids in there. So, I mean, it's like, oh, wow, he's got feelings. He's, he's starting to open up. Yeah. And then um, Amber mentions like, uh, hey, you know, sometimes I forget that you're a kid. Mm-hmm. yeah so we forget too i forget too and this is where james michael has the kind of psychic feeling that amber's walking past yeah and she's thinking about richard rory who will meet them in shortly anyway mm-hmm. so like he really he definitely has some sort of psychic ability yeah it's not a big marvel moment either it's just like this very small little thing where they should mm-hmm. they call that out I wonder what the something vi- vaguely human but strangely somehow animalistic is that he's thinking about. Mm-hmm. We flip the page and we see the old man with Sam. We learn a little bit about the old man, the shopkeeper. He's a world traveler. He's got some oddball art. He understands the way magic works in some ways. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, again, there was like really nice to me Gerber and Screena's storytelling where we just get a little bit more character revealed about the old man. Mm-hmm. It's not much, but it's enough to make us feel a little more empathy for him. Or just get to know him. Mean, he's got some weird stuff in his, in his pawn shop, like that statue of that weird, uh, that weird statue that looks like Pazuzu from, uh, um, from the exorcist. Yes, right. Wow. I wonder if that's intentional. That's funny. The other thing is, um, this is the first one, because, you know, El Gato, he's a cat and everything. And when the hero shows him that medallion, it looks like, it looks less like a cat and more like a snake or a serpent. Yeah, I thought it looks like a serpent. So it made me a little bit happier because I love cats and I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want them insulted. Got that picture of John's face. On the next page, 
all cooked up in the hospital too. And mm-hmm. he's obviously in intensive care. That is so dark. Again, it's like shocking to see that in a code approved comic to me. Mm-hmm. Think about how Marvel and DC never show the impact of violence. Mm. And here's someone nearly beaten to death. Like it's so unusual that mm-hmm. it's spooky. More than spooky, it's kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. It's yet another sign that you know this is not a standard Marvel comic. Yeah, it looks like brain damage and everything because you don't see his hair, his head, his eye, his right eye. Mm-hmm. He can't feed himself. They can't. He can't eat food. They have to give him like. I don't know why that glucose is going in his mouth instead of his veins, but. Yeah, right. But uh... Jim Mooney, yeah. we'll give him a, you know, we'll let him. You know, <laughs> this time. He's not a doctor. Maybe. Yeah. Right. Although we played one in comic book form. Mm-hmm. Just another sign. This is not a standard comic book. This is something completely different. Mm-hmm. Which just continues because this sequence on the next three or four pages of the caped hero fighting Elgato is spooky as hell. Mm-hmm. Where's the idea of him branding Teresa with his cat's head brand? Like sticking someone in the forehead with a brand that's so hot you have to wear, a, wear an oven mitt to hold it? That's just mm-hmm. terrifying. But he's not holding an oven mitt. That's weird. You're right. He's not. Oh, well, it's probably because the handle, like his. Oh, yeah. 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 That makes sense. It's probably insulated. Mm -hmm. Jim Mooney. Yeah, he does. He does so much beautifully here, right? Her face is shrouded. And then we see her face masked. And then we only see part of her face and the Mm -hmm. staring eyes. And then the little bit of fear on the on the panel five of that page just feels like the tension ratchets up and ratchets up. And then the Kate Tiro jumps through the window, and we're expecting something heroic, you know, like Superman jumping through the window. And instead, this battle doesn't really go well. I imagine like a funny thing. I don't know how it comes up on your comic, but imagine him coming in like heroically and then just like slipping and falling on his on his butt <laughs> right yeah and i kind of see it that way and if you look at the let's see four five six panel six i don't know how it comes up on the issue but his eyes kind of look googly a little bit in my issue or my comic oh you're right they do yeah which i think kind of goes to show that perhaps like he is imagining those you know, witches or monsters. Yeah, because in panel two, they have normal faces. Then panel three, they seem to get more evil or monstrous. Mm-hmm. But there's no explanation for it. And then what happens to them? So they... they've changed... Yeah, in fact, Gerber and Screenus allude to that. They say they've changed a bit, or so it seems. Yeah. And I think it's in there. It's in his head. They don't really exist, maybe. Yeah, because um, Elgato's true power is to, cl- to cloud the mind, to alter perception. Mm-hmm. These crazy demonic creatures are illusory. They can't harm. Oh, wrong again. 
mm-hmm. this constant like undercutting of what you think is actually happening mm-hmm. and then he turns into a panther or a cat this but is not the one really. part i don't like mm-hmm. so to back up two steps i would think like if we were doing this comic now agata wouldn't be wearing that flashy yellow costume i don't think he would turn into an actual leopard well i think he's a lot more scary as like look dressed like a gangster and Mm -hmm. only having the illusion of turning into a leopard but i think it's an illusion don't you think i think it's it is an illusion it's kind of unclear right and i believe it's probably i mean my i'm i'm choosing to assume it's an illusion because um um but I don't know. Yeah, so yeah. instead of tearing him around his, with his tail, he could be just t- throwing him around with his foot or something. Yeah. Or his cape. He has a cape, right? Mm-hmm. Well, even this, does, this doesn't feel like a standard superhero fight. Mm-hmm. It's and all, the, <laughs> and all the text is about illusion and sanity and the uh, lack of trust you have in your senses. Mm-hmm. So it all kind of reinforces the idea this isn't really a cat, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I call it a little leopard, but it's a jaguar. Oh, it's a jaguar, okay. Excuse me. Interesting. I wonder how Teresa comes to. Probably because the he lost control over her by becoming unconscious. Yeah, I think when he becomes an animal, he loses his hypnotic ability. No, no, I mean when he gets beat up, he basically like loses his, his mental powers, and then Teresa. I think it's slightly him. before that because when ah. when the hero kicks him, and there's a little tiny inset panel on the third, the second to last page. And he says, the salty blindness passes. However, the kill won't be a mere formality. Even Teresa seems to sense that. And her eyes are narrowing. She looks like she's less hypnotized there. Because mm-hmm. she has the presence of mind to grab the branding iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get a little taste of your own medicine. Right? And our hero is has empathy. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because he saw Teresa throw herself off the bridge in the last issue. Mm. But they say the steaming anger at the revulsion at Teresa's ill treatment, the loathing for the Brujo's overbearing concentration all spew forth. And that's why mm-hmm. he shoots him with his omega beam things. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I was, before reading that, Okay, I started to like kind of like just like, you know, go through the pages and I didn't read them. I didn't really look at him closely. When I saw her take the brand to try to like brand him, I didn't see the subsequent uh, panels. I didn't really look at him. And I thought that she was going to stab and kill him. Oh, which obviously with the um, with the comics code, we would never see. But it was just kind of interesting to like and then like when the when you see the brand on his head it's like a little cute kitty so it's like they're trying to like keep it as um as pg or pg-13 as possible mm-hmm. well, and then it's this incredibly dark moment mm-hmm. yeah and then 
afterwards, when Nick came in, I actually didn't know who Nick was. So now the Nick is the bully, right? So there is an analogy, right? So the two bullies have been defeated. Yeah, the two bullies have been defeated. Such a powerful issue. Yeah, it is a mirror analogy. Gerber, yeah. I got to I got to blame you for something. I'm mad at you, Jason, cuz now you got another thing about comics that I'm obsessed with. I got to get into more Gerber books. He's <laughs> a good writer. We can keep talking Gerber. All right. Thanks, Amir. Thanks, Jason. Next week we have The Wrench, another really odd ground level story. Cool, awesome. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. <laughs> Oh, thank you.